and welcome, everybody. This is Jake Novak, and this is today's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. A lot to get to today. Uh, and whatever I don't get to today, of course, you can always find on my Facebook pages, Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K, and of course, my Twitter feed, which is always very active, at Jake Jake NY, two times Jake, at Jake Jake NY on Twitter. I want to get right to a couple of very big things that have happened in the last couple of days, and that will dominate uh, this half hour of the program. It starts with what's going on in Israel right now, in case the weekend football games and uh, some of the less important stories going on here in the United States crowded out um, your media feed. You should know that yesterday, the Iranian forces that are in Syria and Iranian commanders in Syria fired a missile into Israel, um, into the uh, Mount Hermon area, Har Hermon, and no one was injured, thankfully. Uh, the missile was intercepted by the Iron Dome defense system. The Israelis have responded with attacks on Iranian sites in Syria, but the important thing to remember here, obviously missiles come into Israel from Syria and Gaza. Unfortunately, that's not a new story. What is a new story is that this was fired by the Iranians. The uh, Israeli army says uh, that this was literally fired by Iranians, not just given to Hezbollah for Syrians to fire, but actual Iranian commanders uh, ordered, maybe even pushed the button for all we know, and made this attack. So I wanted to talk today about, about that. Obviously, it's a story in and of itself. Here you have an attack on Israel into an area that doesn't usually get attacked. Now, again, I said that missiles come in, rockets come into Israel from the north and from Gaza, mostly from Gaza, obviously, on a sadly but fairly regular basis. But what we haven't seen is an attack in the Har Hermon area. That's really rare. Into the Golan is rare. And that's a, as they say, provocation, a new escalation, these kinds of political terms that are used for people trying to kill each other, uh, which is always kind of a morbid sense of humor that we have in military speak or in political speak when we're still talking about people killing each other. But it matters where you try to kill them and how you try to kill them, as if it does in, in, the, in, a, in a sense of morality. It really doesn't, obviously. This is the fact that somebody trying to run somebody over on the West Bank with a car or stab them or shoot people standing at a bus stop. It's still the same death. It's still the same carnage. It's still the same terrorism. It's still the same immorality. But you're only allowed to complain in a new way or make a big stink about it in the diplomatic world if it's done in areas that haven't been hit before. It's just one of those atrocities of war and the way that we talk about it. But... I wanted to talk about something that I think goes over a lot of our heads and we don't think about it a lot because we do think it's a simple answer to it. And uh, it's just like when we're talking about studying holy Jewish text, you know, we have what's known as the Peshat, which is the sort of just the, the linear or on the surface explanation. So Peshat can often be like, well, this word is used in plural because the the Torah is trying to talk about a lot of people. And then, of course, we have the drash, which is the more in-depth explanation for things. So the easy explanation here, of course, the thing that we can wring our hands about and actually talk about in a more serious way, I don't, I don't mean to say that, ring, you know, say wringing our hands is something that's a waste of time, especially when we're talking about attempted killings. But we can simply say, look, Iranians, Islamic countries in general, they like to kill non non-Muslims, they like to attack Israel, they like to attack the United States, and here's just another example, and that's a perfectly important and good topic to discuss and hope to try to solve. 
But the question I want us to really focus on right now is this. Why does Iran attack Israel? Not, why does Iran attack non-Muslims? Why does Iran attack not Jews? Why does Iran attack, Amer- attack Americans? I want to talk about why Iran and why other countries, either now or in the past, have attacked Israel. Why do they attack Israel? And give an answer that is more than just the, the Peshat, the easy answer, which is, you know, again, I think correct. They, they hate Jews. They hate non-Muslims, these countries. These countries' regimes do that. I don't think that every person in Iran hates Jews. I don't think every person in Iraq or any of the other countries that have attacked Israel in the past feels, feels that way. I don't think it's an impossible situation to try to fix as far as that kind of hatred. You know, I don't think it's going to be easy. But clearly I'm talking here about the regimes here. So if anyone is mistaken about that, I don't want you to be. But have you ever really asked ourselves that question and given ourselves a more than just that simple answer? Just that simple answer about, well, they just don't like Jews or they don't like non-Muslims. And what I've come to learn uh, from people who are a lot more intelligent than I am and know a lot more about the Middle East and then just from my own long-time observations is that there's a special reason why Iran attacks Israel. There's a special reason why Israel is often targeted. And it's not necessarily what you think. And of course, that leads to the second question of why they're doing this now. Why are they escalating it now? What I've come to learn, and I think that if you do the same thing as that, that I do and, and, and read a little bit more or pay a little bit more attention to what's really going on in the Muslim world, not just now, but over the last, oh, 1,400 years, you'll see... And again, this might be hard for a lot of people to understand and a lot of people to, under- to, to accept. But you will see that the Islamist hatred of Jews, Islamist attacks on Israel, are really not the end game. They are, for lack of a better term, a sideshow. They are something, they are a means to another end. They are a means to another end. And what they have been for a long time in the Middle East decades and decades now, is attacking Israel has become a way of asserting yourself as a leader in the Islamic world. And why is there competition for leadership in the Islamic world? Because for 1,400 years, in different iterations and in different forms, the Islamic world has been in a massive civil war. And that war, my friends, is everything. The Sunni-Shia war, which has taken on some other forms, but for lack of a, 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 just to get really, really to the point, the Sunni-Shia war, civil war in Islam is the war. It has been the war that has dominated much of the world in one way or the other for 15 centuries. It goes into hibernation sometimes. Sometimes it, it, it eludes non-Muslim understanding. But that war is profound. That war is prominent. And when a Sunni country attacks Israel, a big reason, if not the only reason why they attack Israel, is so that that Sunni country can not only say, we are the leaders among the Sunni Muslims who will defend Islam against all non-Muslims, but we are the leaders of all the Muslim world and the Shia world should be rejected because we have attacked Israel the enemy's better, and we are a better defender of the holy sites, etc., etc. And the same thing, of course, now we're seeing this more from Iran. And when Iran is doing it, they are saying, 
we are the not only the, the leaders of Shia Islam, but we are the leaders of all Islam because to them, the definition of Islam is to defeat the enemy, defeat non-Muslims. I mean, what a sad, by the way, what a sad commentary that is for, for the regime of Iran or any of the other Islamic countries to think that the definition of Islam is to defeat non-Muslims and to kill them and to push them back and to make them subjugated is pathetic. I mean, Islam does have more to offer than that. I'm not a huge fan of Islam's inability to really, really embrace pluralism, which is, of course, the, the, the path towards more peace in the world. But Islam has more to offer than just war, but not according to the, the Shia regime in Iran, and not according to ISIS, and not according to all these other Islamist movements. To them, that's it. That's the whole thing. It's not like they're trying to conquer the whole world and then bring peace. It's sort of, we're going to conquer the whole world and we will continue to kill anyone who tries to challenge Islam. Even just by living as a non-Muslim. I mean, I don't challenge Islam. I don't go around to Islamic sites or mosques or, mosques or talk to my Muslim friends and tell them they need to convert. I don't do that to my Christian friends either. Never have. So, of course, obviously not being a Muslim does, is not a challenge to Islam. It's, a, it's kind of pathetic that anyone would think that. It's kind of pathetic that Christians think that sometimes about non-Christians. It's kind of pathetic that Jews think that about non-Jews. But that is an entirely different tack. But my point here is, do not think that attacks on Israel are just about anti-Jewish feelings, are just about trying to kill off Israel from a military standpoint. It is all about a boast that alternating Sunni and Shia leaders or regimes are trying to make. When they attack Israel, it's about, hey, look at me. I am the real leader and defender of Islam, and everyone else isn't. And by the way, it had worked very nicely for Iran. I mean, things that people could not have believed possible, Iran has achieved at, by, by in representing Shia Islam and getting non-Shia Muslims onto their side. For example, Hamas. Hamas is a, is a Sunni Islamic group, started by Sunni Muslims, and yet now it is completely loyal and under the thumb of Iran. Now, that's not something that 50 years ago a lot of people ever would have believed, that Shia Muslims, radical Shia Muslims, could somehow unite and take over a radical Sunni group. That's just not something that they would have expected. They've done the same in Syria, who are Alawi Muslims. They are not Sunni Muslims in Syria, but they're basically, they're closer aligned historically with Sunni Islam. And yet now Syria is really a client state of, state of Iran. So this kind of hatred bears fruit for Iran. They're loving it. And it's worked for them, especially through the use of Hezbollah and the weapons that they send all over the world to Islamic uh, groups and, and to their agents. And so this is why, a huge reason why Iran attacks Israel. And by the way, this is why Sunni countries have attacked Israel in the past. When Gamal Abdel Nasser, when he was the first real Islamist type leader in the modern day uh, uh, world, where Israel existed, when he was leading Egypt, it wasn't just about destroying Israel so that Egypt could get a little bit more territory or a little bit more access to whatever it wanted to get access to. It had nothing to do with that. It was very little to do with that. It was about Nasser trying to take over the entire Muslim world. And by defeating an, an enemy of Islam, haha, a, a non-Muslim country, which is really synonymous in these Islamist minds, he was trying to assert his mastery over all of Islam. And by the way, he got a lot of attention. There were Shia Muslims and non-Sunni Muslims and people, Muslims from far away from Egypt who looked at what Nasser was, was doing and they were like, yeah, he's, he's standing up for us. Now, they were terribly mistaken. Terribly mistaken for a lot of reasons. But Nasser was able to get, uh, make a lot of progress in that way. 
He was never able to defeat Israel, thankfully. He was never able to really live out his dream. And he died of, uh, I believe, brain cancer, brain tumor at a young age. And that was the end of him. But the fact is, is that it wasn't just about him doing something for Egypt. It wasn't just about him trying to kill Jews. That's always just the means to an end. The end is dominance of the Arab world, dominance of the Muslim world. That's what these men want. And that's what Iran wants now. So they're attacking Israel for that. It's not, I, honestly, Israel existing or not existing is, not, is only a means to an end for Iran to try to continue to subjugate more non-traditionally Shia groups, because the Shia groups that are really Shia groups all over the world are already loyal to Iran, except for Iranian dissidents. God bless them, and, and, and I hope that they continue to, to get their voices heard. Lately, they've been much more vocal. But the fact is that Iran is trying to subjugate and draft or incorporate, whatever word you want to use, more of the non-Shia world. And it's working for them. I mean, they've got Syria. They've got Hamas. They've got the Houthi rebels in Yemen. I mean, they're, they're, they're swallowing up a lot of people because of their militant stance and the fact that they don't seem to ever want to stop killing. And that seems to work for them, sadly. Sadly. So that is why Iran and anyone ever attacks Israel. Now, I'm not saying they don't hate Jews. It's, it's not about that. The point is, is that it's about a means to an end. They're trying to show the rest of the Muslim world that they are the, they're the real leaders. They're the real defenders of the faith. Pathetically, but true. Now, the second question we have to ask, we must ask this question because, again, it's just too easy to say, well, Iran always hates Jews, so they're attacking them now because it's, it's Monday. That's... Look, again, not exactly wrong to, to, as an answer, but this is advanced placement. This is AP Middle East Studies right now on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. We're having a little bit more of a, an intel, a more intelligent and more reasoned discussion, I hope. And the question now we must ask is, why now? Why are they attacking now? And there are a lot of reasons for that, and we need to be aware of those reasons if we're going to be able to fight back against it. Okay, one of the reasons why... One of the reasons why they're attacking Israel now is because, again, the U.S. has basically effectively reimposed a good number of massive sanctions against Iran. When President Donald Trump pushed, pulled the United States out of the Iran nuclear deal, it did not end all the benefits that Iran got from signing that nuclear deal, but it did end a lot of them. And the sanctions are not going to be completely enforced by the world because there's so many cheaters in the world. There's so many people who cheat on sanctions. Happens all the time. We saw it with Iraq. We saw it with, uh, we see it with Russia. We see it all the time. We get it. But a tremendous amount of the Iranian economy has taken a massive hit from this for over a year now. And Iran now is in a more desperate situation economically than they've been in a long time. So, Again, this is a time for Iran to try to get more of the Muslim world rallying around it by attacking Israel. If there were another country that would get them as much of a bang for their buck in, 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 attacking, in attacking them, then maybe they'd do that. But Israel is a great target for them to do that. And that's a big reason why that's going on right now. Second reason is, in accordance with what they saw happening in the world and what they see happening with the Trump administration, the Saudis, for almost two years now, have also been very much ramping up their anti-Iranian military stance. They have taken a very strong position against the Houthi revolution in Yemen. They have 
put in a new crown prince now. He's been in there for almost two years in Mohammed bin Salman, who had the reputation when he was not the crown prince, but getting but moving up in the in, in the royal succession line of being the most anti-Iranian from a military standpoint prince in the royal family of Saudi Arabia. His the fact that he was chosen as crown prince was a major major uh, statement against Iran, and he hasn't he hasn't disappointed. <laughs> he hasn't disappointed. He's been tough. He's been ruthless, and he's gotten some results. And he certainly has decided that making some kind of de facto peace or cooperation with Israel is absolutely worth it in the pushback against Iran. And when you talk about the Jamal Khashoggi controversy, which I've talked about in previous editions of Novak now, well, that's part of it. Khashoggi, through Qatar, was becoming an Iranian agent, was basically acting as an Iranian agent. Before that, he was an an agent of the previous Saudi regime. But he was switching sides and starting to attack the Saudi regime, not because he had any compunction about morality. We're talking about Jamal Khashoggi here, someone who praised the 9-11 attacks, someone who praised the Muslim Brotherhood. This is not a, a voice of reason. Khashoggi was not a voice of justice. He just was an agent, and a free agent at that. He would have changed his tune again, I guess, if someone had paid him off more. Who knows exactly? And we can talk for a long time about how his murder wasn't right. I don't think it was right. I think um, if the Saudis really wanted to silence him, maybe they should have just imprisoned him. (laughs) Maybe they should have done something else besides a a, a brutal murder. But my point in bringing that up is that I want to discuss that as a point of how Mohammed bin Salman is taking no prisoners, literally in this case, in his fight against Iran. So that's another reason why Iran is trying to ramp things up, because they're trying to show the world how much tougher they are on the non-Muslims of the world, including Israel, especially Israel. So when Iran attacks Israel now, it's a real attempt to elbow Saudi Arabia out of the way and say, look, those Saudis, they're making friends with those non-Muslims, those, those Israelis. How, would you, how can you possibly follow them, no matter how much money they give you? We're the real defenders of the faith. That's what that's, that's, what that's going on. Again, by the way, that's, that's what Saddam Hussein was doing during the first Gulf War when he launched the Scud missiles into Tel Aviv. He wasn't trying to start a war with Israel. What he was trying to do was try to show all those Arab countries who were aligning against him with the United States in the Gulf War, whether it was the small Gulf states or whoever it was, he was trying to show them that he was the real Muslim leader. How dare they... Uh, a, a lie with anyone else against him. Of course, it didn't work. But I, I believe it gave a lot of Arab and Muslim countries a lot of pause. For example, Syria, during the first Gulf War, was, you know, officially, I put that in quotes, officially on the side of the United States and the coalition against Iraq. But frankly, they did not act that way. And I think that the Scud missile attacks on Israel had a lot to do with it. But the point is, this is why Iran is doing this now. They're under the gun because of these economic sanctions, which have really started to hurt, even though they're not being 100% enforced. There has been a marked decline in, in Iran's economic well-being, punctuated by regular protests that have nothing to do really with Islamic politics. They've just been a regular, economically spurred protests against Iran. Now, some of those protests involved women taking off their head coverings, their hijab, and that obviously was Islamic in nature. But a lot of these protests that have continued, whether it's truck drivers or, 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 or teachers or other types of laborers, obviously that's all economic. So Iran is under that, that pressure right now, and they need to try to change the narrative and try to get everyone talking about how they're great defenders of the faith. So that's why one big reason why they're attacking Israel now, because Saudi Arabia has really stepped up 
their pushback on Iran. That's another reason why they're trying to attack, why they are attacking Israel now, because they want to make Saudi Arabia look bad as a country that doesn't attack non-Muslims. It just goes to show what a topsy-turvy world this is. The way that you make your way up the ladder is by killing people, you know, in, in, in this world, in this crazy regi- regimes that we're talking about, these crazy regimes we're talking about. And there's also another reason why I believe they're, they're trying to attack Israel now. Um, two other reasons. One is, of course, the United States in its plans to, to leave Syria. I believe that Iran wants to, make a punk- wants to make a real punctuation mark right now and talk about how, well, they're going to to take advantage of American absence and American absence coming up in Syria to step up their actions in the area. And I also think that they're doing this now because the Israeli elections are really going in full swing right now. Election day is in April, so we're only a few months away, really. Obviously, it's probably about six more weeks before we really get into the heat, heat, heat of the election. But the Iranians know, they're sophisticated enough to know, that by attacking Israel now during an election season may actually help them drive some kinds of wedges within Israeli society. Now, you would think that, for the most part, when Israel is attacked by Iran of all countries, that would unite the country. And I think in a lot of ways, the country has been incredibly united on the security front over the last, oh, I would say, really, more than a decade now. One of the biggest reasons why Benjamin Netanyahu is the longest-serving Israeli prime minister in one stretch right now, going on more than 10 years, is because the security debate in Israel is over. The left lost. Because of the collapse of Oslo and because of a number of other things, you cannot really be a successful candidate in Israel unless you really take a strong position against Iran, unless you take a really strong position against any kind of peace talks with the Palestinians until they make a real concession, which they're not anywhere near doing. So it's a little bit of a mistake on Iran's part to think that they will drive that wedge in Israeli society by going full-on war-like against Israel. However, 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 what I think that they will get is a couple of voices in the news media, both in Israel and in the rest of the West, talking about how when Israel retaliates and retaliates very strongly, they know there'll be voices in the news media and voices in the more radical left, both in Israel and throughout the world, that will say this is just Netanyahu trying to win votes. Now, again, I don't think that they think it will change the results of the election in Israel, but they do think, I think, that it will help them win some votes maybe in the UN, win some hearts and minds in Europe, things like that. And again, I don't know how much of a main focus of that is really in their, on their minds right now, but, but I think it's on their minds. I think it's one of the reasons why, again, the attack is happening now. Happening now. So just to sum up, the, the main point here is that Iran is attacking Israel as a show for the rest of the Muslim world. That's the biggest reason. Their hatred of Jews and hatred of Israel is secondary. And Iran is doing it now because the economic pressures that are on them, because of the Saudi challenge to them, and because of the U.S. withdrawal from Syria, which is coming soon, and because of the Israeli elections, this is a there's a reason why this is happening now, and there's a reason why this is happening in the first place. And it's not exactly the easy answer, but it's a simple answer, and it does make sense. It does make sense based on what we know of the history of the region. Uh, I have just a few minutes left, so I'm here on Novak now on the Nelcom Siegel Network, and I want to make two quick comments, a couple of quick comments about other things that have happened just in the last few days, because it's so important. Speaking of using anti-Semitism as a way to build a coalition... 
using anti-Jewish hatred like Iran is doing right now, hope, hoping to do to build a coalition. What do you think of that women's march, my friends, here in Washington, turning now to you know, U.S. news? Uh, it didn't take long for Linda Sarsour, Tamika Mallory, Mallory, and these other leaders of the women's movement during that march on, I guess it was Saturday, to make a big speech uh, about, uh, in favor of BDS, the boycott, divest, and sanction movement against Israel, to make anti-Israel statements. Uh, as I've written many times before, and again, you can follow me every day on my Facebook pages, Jake Novak, and on Twitter, at Jake Jake New York, at, at Jake Jake NY, sorry, at Jake Jake NY. You'll see what I wrote and what I continue to write, which is, anti-Semitism and Jewish hatred has long been used as the way to lure the hordes into any kind of revolutionary or violent or anarchist movement. It's, very, it's ever since communism, Nazism, the whole thing. You know, the Nazis wanted to take over the whole world. Killing the Jews was just the way to bring, they knew that would be a great way to bring in a bunch of European hordes because they knew they were inherently anti-Semitic. The women's movement is basically saying what all those movements have often said, which is, come for the anti-Semitism, stay for the revolution. And that's what we saw with the women's movement. Uh, Unbelievable situation in many ways, but also not unbelievable, if you know what I mean. Meanwhile, the day before, at the March for Life, uh, an incident occurred that that eventually got out on video about about a day later of... Black Israelites, if any of you have ever seen them in Times Square, this is a group that they dress up like in, in, in ancient garb. Uh, these are African-American men who dress up in ancient garb and are very, very anti-Jewish. They claim to be the real Jews, and they like to yell at Jews and yell at Americans and the whole thing in Times Square. They do that. And they're all over the world. They came down to the March for Life. Uh, also during the March for Life, there was a Native American march, and they went after these kids from Covington Catholic High School in Kentucky who were at the March for Life. Some of them were wearing Make America Great Again hats, and they went after these kids who were waiting for their bus. Uh, the black Israelites pointed to one of the black students who was with, with them and said, hey, these white boys are just going to try to harvest your organs. I mean, real provocative, nasty stuff. One Native American protester went over to them and started to try to intimidate them and get them going. And the students responded by chanting their school chant. Some of them were yelling back at these folks who tried to start up with them the whole nine yards. For about 24 hours, social media and the leftist media went after these kids, called them the haters, called them the provocateurs. Then when more of the video came out, even the New York Times today had to come out with an article saying, well, it looks like there's a little bit more nuanced view of what really happened, which was their way of saying, "Uh, we screwed up. The left screwed up, the news media screwed up, and it's just sickening to see how quickly they were willing to demonize these kids, their children, they're in high school. Come on, now, if you're in college, I'm willing to argue about whether you're still an adult, whether you're an adult yet or not. I'm willing to have that argument, but not high school. These are high school kids, and some of these kids were identified by name. Their addresses were put out on social media so that they could be harassed, so they could be threatened. And here, this is the society we're living in today, that the left hates the right so much that they just don't care about even children. They're willing to ruin their lives. They're willing to threaten their lives. And a friend of mine, who was a devout Catholic, very, very, very disappointed in the Vatican and the diocese for many years now, told me that, you know, the diocese, the, 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 the school itself and the diocese in Kentucky was very quick to also condemn their own students until they found out some of the more details. I don't know if they'll retract that condemnation. But they were also very quick to call out their own kids. And he said to me, you know, considering all the abuse scandals that the Catholic Church has gone through, yet again, the diocese and uh, the Catholic diocese has found a way to ruin teenage boys' lives, which is just an amazing thing that he said that. But you know what? He's got a point. 
He's got a point. At what point are they going to protect their own children in the Catholic Church? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And yes, there's plenty of instances in other religions. I'm not trying to say this is just a Catholic thing, but this is something that's really hurt the church more than any other religious group. And they need to be careful about what they do with their own, about they say and do when it comes to their own teenage kids and boys. But the point is, folks, you just can't trust what you're seeing on social media. Even my own feed. Please, fact check me. Challenge me if you think I'm wrong. And, and I'll be happy to, if you're being respectful enough, to respond. But the point is, we saw some ugliness, ugliness over the weekend. And I haven't even talked about the BuzzFeed fake news story about the Michael Cohen testimony. That story was all over the news on Friday. I'm sure you saw it. But if you didn't, look it up. You can find it on my Facebook pages and also on my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY. This has been Jake Novak. This has been this week's edition of Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.